Howdy, everyone, and thank you again for tuning in to the Jeffersonian Tradition. Before we get started, I have a couple of things to go over. For now, the podcast is mostly ad-free, and I sure would like to keep it that way. You can help me out with that by becoming a supporting listener. If you find value in the podcast, there's a link in the show notes page that will enable you to contribute to my work and to help keep the podcast going and keep it light on advertising. If you're not comfortable with a recurring contribution model, I've also set up a cash app profile for the show. And one-time contributions can be sent to the show's cash tag, which is dollar sign Mr. Jeffersonian. And all of this information will be listed in the show notes page as well. Any contribution amounts help and thank you in advance to anyone who chooses to pitch in. And for my supporters, I recently introduced an exclusive tier for y'all, and it's called Mr. Jeffersonian's Ward Republic. Perks of being a supporting listener currently include one video call with me and the other Ward Republic members each month, and up to 40 minutes each call. It's a great atmosphere, and we'd love to have you there. All you need to do to become a member of the Ward Republic is start contributing today at the $4.99 per month level through the Anchor link, or if you'd rather go through Cash App, then you can round it up to $5 per month. Um, essentially, as long as it comes out to $60 per year, you're, you're going to be covered. And speaking of groups, if you aren't on MeWe yet, then seriously, what are you waiting for? Unlike a certain other social media platform, MeWe respects the right to free speech and offers a privacy bill of rights. So if you'd like to be a member there, then download the MeWe app and search for me at the username Mr. Jeffersonian. And just for basic group level access, I'm always going to keep that free. So if you can't afford to contribute, that's perfectly fine. You can still come into the group, see what we're discussing over there. We'd love to have you. The show group is private, so we must be contacts before I can send you that group invite. And if you're not familiar with MeWe's platform, contacts are the same as being friends on Facebook. With all of that fun stuff out of the way, let's now turn our attention to the topic for today's episode. All right, today we are going to wrap up our trilogy on Social Security and determine whether there is a fix to this ticking time bomb. I told y'all I did not offer idle complaints, but I would also have a solution, so here it is. But before we proceed, I do want to let y'all know that I was recently a guest on the Liberty Block podcast, and I felt that was a fantastic discussion surrounding some of the practical concerns of secession with just a tad bit of COVID talk as well. So if you want to check out my appearance there, again, their podcast is called the Liberty Block Podcast. It's available on all major podcast platforms. And all right, back to business on today's topic. As a quick recap of the previous episode on the topic, recall that Social Security is legally speaking nothing more than a tax, and you don't have any contractual ownership or property rights to your coerced contributions per the Supreme Court cases of Fleming v. Nestor and Helvering v. Davis. Also recall, per Social Security's own annual report, that 2020 was the last year it was expected to finish the year with more total income than expenses. But even then, it paid out over $73 billion more in benefits than it took in from taxes. And with that, let's go ahead and move forward with today's topic, which is figuring out a solution. So first, there's going to be a transition phase by necessity there is going to be a transitionary phase. We cannot just cut the lights out overnight. So for my libertarian purist in the audience, you may want to go ahead and mute the next part of this episode because I am about to tell a very ugly and inconvenient truth. Social Security cannot be cut off overnight. In 2020, Social Security paid out benefits totaling $1.059 with a T dollars. 
That represents approximately 5% of the 2020 U.S. GDP. If the program were to be immediately terminated, not only would there be a huge detrimental effect to the recipients, but there would most likely be a huge negative ripple throughout the entire economy with an overnight 5% haircut. So the real question that fiscally rational people need to start asking is this. How can we transition away from this with the lowest possible impact? And I'm glad you asked. So following, or excuse me, the following is my rough idea on how to phase this out. So keep in mind, this is a rough sketch. I'm, I'm in no means a professional economist, but this is something I have thought on for a couple of years. And, and this is what I've come up with. I'm definitely open to challenge and I'm definitely open to constructive criticism if y'all think there's a better way. But what we must first understand is that some generation is going to have to fall on the grenade and make contributions into the abhorrent social security system without ever getting back anything in return. Now, I'm only 28, so I realize it would most likely be my generation, I, I am a millennial, or the Gen Zers who were asked to make this sacrifice. And it definitely is a sacrifice. I mean, it depending on how long you've been in the workforce. For me, I actually started my first job at age 15. So I've been in the workforce pretty much nonstop for about 13 years now, almost 14. And so it's going to be the younger generations who are asked to make this sacrifice. Now, there's some things that we would need to guarantee them in return, namely that we are not going to subject any further generations to it. Their kids are not going to have to pay into it. Their grandkids are not going to have to pay into it. And we need to acknowledge they are being asked to make a huge sacrifice in terms of giving away all this money and never getting anything in return for it. But again, if it means my children and grandchildren are not burdened with this racket, then speaking for myself, I will gladly take the fall. I will gladly fall on that particular sword or grenade, whatever you want to call it. Now, for the older generations, my preferred route is a reduced payout structure over time. And as of the time of this recording, here is what I would like to see in terms of the brackets and the breakdowns. So for people who are currently age 55 and older, they're going to be covered with no change to current benefit structure. They are too close to retirement. Most of those folks would most likely be within 10 years of retirement, given a retirement age of 65. And that's just too short of a time frame for them to try to make up the shortfall. So they, they would just basically be covered with no uh, no sort of change to their benefit structure. For the next bracket, that would be age 45 to 54, and they will only be eligible for a 60% payout when their retirement age comes. So whatever the current uh, payout would be based on their earnings, go ahead, cut that by 40%, but you let them know that years in advance so they have time to prepare for it. So they would only be eligible for 60% payouts and only until they reach age 80. So Again, you let them know that in advance. It's not going to be there. If you live past age 80, it's up to you. We're giving you time to start saving now. And if they don't want to take a monthly payout until they reach age 80, they can actually also, under my plan, take a lump sum payment at the age of 65 and then do whatever they want with it. If they want to invest it in dividend stocks, fine. If they want to purchase in a private annuity, fine. Whatever they want to do, it's up to them. The next age bracket is 35 to 44. They're, they would only be eligible for 50% payouts and only until they reach age 70 as well. Or they can also have the option of taking a lump sum at age 65 and again, doing whatever they want to with that money. 
The next bracket would be age 25 to 34, and they would only be eligible for 30% payouts and only until they reach age 70 also. Or, again, they are going to have the option to take a lump sum payment at age 65. And with all these brackets, under my ideal plan, what they take out as a lump sum or even as monthly payments is not going to be allowed to exceed their total employee and employer contributions. But in the meantime, all of these age brackets must continue contributing to Social Security as normal with a gradual reduction in the payroll tax amount as the cost burden gets lower. So I would like to have, in my perfect ideal envisionment, I would like to have the flexibility to say, okay, as the older generations start passing away, look, the cost burden of this is getting lower. And because we're cutting payouts, it's going to get drastically lower. So you can just go ahead and start kind of baking in a reduction to those payroll tax rates as those numbers turn more in your favor. Now, for the below 25 demographic, they would not be eligible for benefits. But I do want to be as fair as possible. So from the time that this legislation would be enacted, they would no longer be required to pay into the Social Security payroll system or, or pay the payroll taxes to cover those other brackets. However, any money that they may have paid prior to the legislation being passed will unfortunately, under my plan, be forfeit. And this is what I'm saying. We need to recognize these people would be making a sacrifice because you can have a 25-year-old who's already been in the workforce for 10 years. Who knows? That That's probably close to... That's probably close to about twenty to thirty thousand dollars, depending on how much money they were making when they first entered the workforce and how much money they're making now. That that would be a significant sum of money to someone at that age. So we need to realize they are being asked to give up a lot. And again, we need to thank them for that. Under my plan, we need to thank them. Like, hey, thank you for having the foresight to realize this actually is something that's going to benefit us all in the long run. We don't need to deride them if they get angry because they are asked to make a financial contribution that large with nothing to show for it. We need to understand, yes, this is a sacrifice. This is not some willy-nilly thing that people are complaining about. And I know that many of y'all may be ready to strangle me after hearing me say this, but I ask you to remember that Social Security is nothing more than a tax. Again, we covered that on the previous episode about Social Security. It's nothing more than a tax. And again, the sad reality is none of us have any vested interest in it the moment it leaves our checks. And we have to be realistic in understanding that and just work to prevent the same thing from happening to the future generations. And that's why I'm okay, personally, if I never see a dime out of it as long as the people who come after me are not subjected to the same fate. If we can cut the head off of the snake, fine. Now, if it can't be phased out in the manner that I prefer, and you know, let's be realistic, they're probably going to just run it into the ground until it does actually implode. But if it can't happen the way that I want it to happen in my perfect envisionment, then let's explore some real-world alternatives from a state and community-oriented viewpoint. And particularly what we're going to look at is a plan from Oregon called Oregon Saves. And what is Oregon Saves? Well, it's a mandatory statewide retirement program for employers started in July 2017. And it applies to every employer who does not offer a retirement plan for their workers. So if they are not able to offer a 401k or if they don't offer a 401k, basically the state 
host a retirement service. Um, it's kind of like a, a state operated brokerage firm, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, where they have some of the infrastructure and they partner with private investment service providers. But employers are not allowed or required to make any contributions for their workers. So the employer must opt into it or register for it when they set up their business, but they don't have to do anything beyond that in terms of making contributions on the employee's behalf. And again, it's sponsored by the state, but the workers or the individuals own the accounts. And that is huge. That is huge in terms of importance. So if y'all recall, my big problem with pensions and Social Security both is that you don't actually own the money. One, anytime you have a collectivized pool for retirement, the board of trustees actually owns it in terms of who gets to make decisions about it and who determines payout amounts. You don't get a say in that. It is not yours. It is theirs. And they basically pay you at their pleasure. So under this plan, even though the state owns the infrastructure, so to speak, the employees or the individuals actually own the accounts. They truly own the accounts. They have discretionary powers over the money and how it gets invested. They can withdraw from it uh, and pay themselves basically whatever salary they see fit in retirement, so on and so forth. So, I mean, it, it, lots and lots of benefits there. And what this plan does is the employees are actually able to set up a Roth IRA through the state subject to current contribution limits, which for 2021 is $6,000. And if the employees opt in, their base contribution rates start at 5% of their gross annual salary and are set to automatically increase 1% per year until it reaches 10%. Now, employee participation, I do want to stress this, is not mandatory. So the employers must register for it, but the employees are not currently required by law to participate in it. But if they do, they can opt in and out at any time. So if you wanted to start contributing today, but let's say you have a medical emergency six months from now, you can suspend your contributions and focus on getting that medical bill paid off. You don't, you're, currently you're not legally required to do this, but the option is there and that's a very powerful tool. Now, since the plan is state hosted and employee owned, it is portable from job to job. So you don't have to worry about quitting an employer for fear of having to liquidate your retirement plan. And for those of you who may not have gone through this yet, some employers will let you keep your retirement account in place when you leave and you just are not able to make any additional contributions. But there are some employers who stipulate that you must liquidate the account within a certain amount of time after leaving the company. And usually that's within the 90 day period. So that, that kind of sucks because if you leave an employer, let's say if you, let's say if you had 70 or 80,000 built up there and you had a pretty strong cost basis, if you leave and you, you're forced to liquidate that, you're destroying the cost basis and then kind of starting over from an investment perspective. So lots of benefits here to it being portable. Lots and lots of benefits to it being portable. Again, you can go from, from job to job. If you're dissatisfied with one employer, you're not forced to stay there. And honestly, this is probably one of my favorite benefits of this particular program offered through Oregon is, is just the sheer level of flexibility that it has or portability rather that it has. Now, all the administrative costs are funded through a 1% asset management fee paid by the participating employees. So that's a huge plus because it does not add to the overall tax burden of the state. 
So basically what that means is you would pay $1 for every $100 that you have invested. So over time, let's say if you get up to a million bucks, then you would have a, a somewhat high asset management fee. But you're again, you're paying for a service. You're, you're paying the people who are maintaining the infrastructure for you to access the platform. And it does have some investment choice. So you're not just stuck sitting there holding cash or holding government bonds. No, not at all. It has a few different investment choices. You have the Capital Preservation Fund, which is essentially a money market account. There are several target date fund options, which are passive funds that automatically adjust asset allocation over time based on the target date. And currently, I think those range from a target date of 2020 all the way up to 2070. So you have quite a few different options there. And then lastly, you have an S&P 500 index growth fund. So that fund is just built to mirror the S&P stock index. It is a passive fund as well, and it has very low expense ratios. So you're getting a lot of flexibility there, at least in comparison with Social Security, which is only allowed to hold government treasury bonds and get horrendous rates of return. And so I love this plan, but I would like to see a couple of tweaks and Again, for my libertarian purists, it's time to cover your ears because I'm going to come right out and say it. I do mostly love this plan, but the tweaks I would like to see, I think would make it even better. So the first tweak I would like to see is I want to see Oregon nullify the Social Security Act. There is nothing in the U.S. Constitution that gives the general government the power to steal from one segment of the population to give to another. And Social Security was not brought into existence through a constitutional amendment. So the state would be totally justified in using nullification to rid itself of that terrible burden. The same holds true for any other state who wants to create a plan like this. Now, the second tweak I want to see is that no level of government has a right to set a limit on retirement savings. So I'd like to see them get rid of the $6,000 limit and at least go to the 401k limit, which is currently $19,500 per year. Third, and this would be huge... I would actually want to see Oregon keep the current Social Security payroll tax rates in place for both the employees and the employers. But instead of paying it into that god-awful system, you just divert those funds directly into the workers' accounts. And think about it like this. They're already paying the tax anyway, but this would actually give them an insanely powerful wealth-building tool. Since the current payroll tax amount is 6.2% for employees and employers, this would empower the worker to sock away 12.4% of their paycheck every single payday. And if a person were to begin working at age 25 and work for 40 years and average at least a $60,000 salary across all of those years, assuming a 7.25% rate of return, that person would enter retirement with $1.64 million. Folks, this is something we can solve today. Today, I mean, yes, it's going to take time for everybody to start building their accounts up, but the earlier we start started or the sooner we started, the better it's going to be. And we could have millionaires retiring every day, say 20, 30 years from now. We could have everybody retire a millionaire or close to it. Now, again, the workers could make up their mind to withdraw these funds as they saw fit. So even under even under these tweaks, the worker would still have that flexibility. So if you want to live like a pauper and pay yourself, you know, $1,000 a month because you're scared you might lose out on the rest of your nest egg, fine, fine, you can do that. 
you can do that. But if you want to pay yourself decently in retirement, let's say if you wanted to pay yourself, oh, we'll say $9,000 a month or maybe even $10,000 a month, you could do that. And you could break it down. You could determine for yourself, like, hey, I plan on living to age 90 or I want to have enough money to live to age 90. And then you could sit there and do the math and figure out, okay, I can afford to pay myself this much. Or you could even take a part of this and buy yourself a private annuity if you want that sort of security. It is all up to you. And that is so much better than the lack of options that we have under Social Security as it currently exists. And another benefit is that there would not be any threat of the government withholding payment or the system becoming insolvent. In the truest sense of the word, this hypothetical worker is self-insured. And that is incredible. Self-financed and self-insured. Financially independent. That is wonderful. That That would be a wonderful occurrence. And the great news is that Oregon is actually not the only state who sees the writing on the wall with Social Security. At the time of this recording, there are 10 states with legislation similar to this on their books. And those states are California, Connecticut, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Vermont, and Washington. And Colorado actually has some legislation in the works. It has not yet passed, but we're, we're actually trying to get something like this in place as well. So these states see there's a big crisis brewing. There is a huge problem with the current setup, and they are trying to cut it off at the pass. So the coming re- retirement crisis could be a disaster like we have not seen since at least the Great Depression. And I'm glad that these states are taking proactive steps to try to alleviate this suffering that we may see. Now, to address the elephant in the room, there may be those of you who say, well, if the government can do this, they can mandate vaccines. My response is that those are not the same at all, as retirement savings is something that really does provide a tangible benefit to the account holder, whereas the vaccines are technically still in their trial phase and have failed in their stated objective of hashtag slowing the spread. The mRNA vaccines in particular are also highly experimental, and the government has literally violated the Nuremberg codes with their actions surrounding them. So that at best is nothing more than a false equivalence. And again, the questions we need to start asking ourselves is what is realistically achievable as far as breaking up the Leviathan in D.C., and how can we pitch it to the general public? Because no one, no one is going to follow us into the void if we don't have a plan. And thank you all again for tuning in. And guys, please remember, if you find value in the podcast to consider contributing to the show, you can contribute on a recurring basis through the supporting listener link in the show notes page, or you can make a one-time contribution by using the show's cash app information, which is also included in that show notes page. Any contribution amounts help, and thank you again to everyone in advance who decides to do so. And also, please consider downloading the MeWe app and joining the show's private MeWe group so we can have more sane and rational discussion around historical and current political issues. And all right, with another episode in the books, thank you again for tuning in, and I will talk to you all next time.